the, uh, the wilderness, it brings to mind uh, the ideal image of rest and solitude sometimes. And it's a place where you can go away, experience the quiet. Um, maybe if it's walking through uh, a little grove of trees or you're sitting on the side of a, a mountain perch. And when you're uh, doing that, is it a sound problem? We're good? Okay. Um, and uh, actually, the last church I served as a, a pastor, it was a little country church out in rural Ohio. And sometimes when I'd be working on my sermon, and it just wasn't gelling for me. You know, when you're, you're working on a project and, and things aren't coming together. And I just walk outside and walk down a country road that uh, we were uh, we lived by, and being out in nature, uh, just taking some time off um, from thinking, just was kind of restorative to us. Well, uh, retreating to the wilderness, it's not always a peaceful thing. It can be noisy out there, too. And you remember King David? David, after he had defeated Goliath, so he started off as a shepherd boy. He knew the wilderness well. He entered into King Saul's service after defeating Goliath. And though he became the captain of Saul's bodyguards, Saul saw him as a threat. And Saul sought to do away with him. But David had to go on the run. And he went out into the wilderness, took with him or he kind of gathered to him a bunch of disaffected warriors, and out in the dry, chalky Judean wilderness, in the expanse of hills, valleys, and mountains, he got away from the noise, but also probably experienced the noise too as he was pursued. Paul Wright, the retired president of Jerusalem University College, that kind of has Israel as its classroom, says this about David. It, it's clear that David's experiences in the wilderness, both as a young shepherd and as a leader of men, strengthened his abilities. His character, his resolve to meet the challenges he'd face later in life. Many of the Psalms attributed to David speak of rough terrain, mighty rocks, strongholds, and deliverers. David drew on a number of very tangible experiences to express his dependence on God, on the power and provision of God. We're about to get a glimpse of that. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as your word is read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us this day. Amen. This morning, we read from a psalm of David, Psalm 62, verses 1 through 11. Only in God do I find rest. My salvation comes from him. Only in God is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I won't be shaken anymore. 
How long will all of you attack others? How long will you tear them down? As if they were leaning walls or broken down fences. The only desire of this people is to bring others down low. They delight in deception. With their mouths they bless, but inside they are cursing. Oh, I must find rest in God only, because my hope comes from him. Only God is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My deliverance and glory depend on God. God is my strong rock. My refuge is in God. All you people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Human beings are nothing but a breath. Human beings are nothing but lies. They don't even register on a scale. Taken all together, they're lighter than a breath. Don't trust in violence. Don't set false hopes in robbery. When wealth bears fruit, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken one thing. Make it two things that I myself have heard, that strength belongs to God and faithful love comes from you, my Lord, and that you will repay everyone according to their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. I was ambushed by my family. It's hard to say that they're sitting right over there. It was six years ago. It was about this time of year. There was a little conspiracy. The Cannon women, my wife and two daughters, took me out to our favorite Mexican restaurant, and they came prepared. They had bullet points. They had supporting pictures. They had research on their cell phones. And they confronted me with a statement, we want a dog. <laughs> I was of the opinion that we didn't need a dog. I had a dog most of my life. Um, we had a dog when our eldest came along, but our dog didn't like Jesse. So uh, you know who went. But. Their position, their reasoning, it was sound. They appealed with facts. They appealed with emotions. They appealed with heart. And their ambush succeeded. I caved, and so our search started. And we had some hits and misses. But a week or two later, I get a call at work, and they want me to come over to the Norfolk SPCA. And there were several dogs that fit our criteria. There was uh, what was left of a litter of uh, rat terrier puppies, about five months old. And I rushed over during lunch, and as we uh, were led back to the, uh, the cages area, we saw one of those puppies was being ushered out um, with its new family, down to two. Uh, and then we were taken into this kind of big caged area, and they brought uh, the other puppies out. And uh, first one was very friendly. Uh, 
Again, fit our criteria, fit uh, probably my criteria too. Uh, and then they brought another one out, her sister, and this timid little thing just went to the other side of the cage. The worker there had to pick her up and bring her over and set her on our lap. So it came down to, okay, it's going to be one or the other. It was a debate. And again, as I said, they were just the dog we were looking for. But I got to have the deciding vote, at least. Uh, I, I said, let's take the timid one, because I think she'll be harder to adopt. And so Sadie came into our lives. Now, she became Robin's little shadow, but she was afraid of me, and it took a few weeks for her to come sit next to me on the couch or something like that. But once she did, we became close, and I'm proud to say that I'm the second most important person to her in our family. And when you hear her protective bark, if you ring our doorbell or step onto our porch, you'd never know that there's this tender little pup that lives inside that bark. However, there's one sound that's her kryptonite, and I don't know how she did Friday night because we were away from home, but whenever thunder starts to rumble in the distance, you can see her nervousness start. Her tail goes between her legs, and she starts seeking some kind of hidey hole to get into. She goes behind a chair, or she uh, crawls under uh, Robin's um, uh, footrest on uh, the recliner, and she just starts shaking. And it's just this trembling. And I, I look around, I look at the four walls of our home, and, and I just want to, you know, this it, we're secure in here. Everything's okay. I wish I could somehow tell her that our house is very solidly built. Every house we've lived in, every house we've been with us has been solidly built, but there's always that shaking and there's that fear. If only I could communicate to her. I think God wants to communicate security to us through this psalm. Against a mighty storm of attacks, against beating down, curses, and shaking, this psalm, David almost writes a symphony with it of a structure to encourage us to trust in God, to trust in God only in the noise and storms and struggles of our lives. And it comes from the repetition of there's this small Hebrew word that means only or surely, or truly. And it shows up four times here, two times in the negative in addition to that, but six times in all. Only in God do I find rest. Only in God is my rock and my salvation. Only God is my rock and my salvation. And then there's... Um, that human beings are only breath, or the only desire of this people is to bring others down low, the, the two negative counterpoints. But David, as he's talking about the noise of life, he starts out with a testimony of trust. He says, this is how I experience God. In God, we find a true and unique place of rest. 
This is his declaration of why we can be secure in God. The word for rest, it's also translated as silence in some translations. God is like noise-canceling headphones that meets the waves, the forces that assail us. It's the kind of trust that Moses encouraged the children of Israel when they were standing at the Red Sea and the Egyptians were bearing down on them. And they were saying, why did you bring us out here? It would be better for us to have been in Egypt. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of God that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. But he doesn't just quiet things down while the forces array against us. God stands as a bulwark against them. For David says, only God is my rock and my salvation and my stronghold. That God's a secure foundation. And we can trust him in every instance as we find refuge. Now, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by castles and knights. And on our shelves was, you ever heard of the Childcraft Children's Encyclopedia? If you're under 50, sorry. I'm, you could go to a thrift store probably and buy three of them. But it's this green and white volumes, and there's, there was one volume that was called Creative Play and Hobbies, and that was my favorite volume. I'd look through there, and one of the things was there was this plan to build a castle. I think there was one to build a big castle and one a small castle. I did the small castle. It was, you take a box, and you kind of cut out little crenulated um, squares around the top, and then you could take paper cups and put them on the corners and they would be your towers and then well you got to get your mom to help you with this one cut out a little door and tie some string on you'd have a little drawbridge and I played with that thing for hours uh, and put my little knights in it and all that but I never thought from my flat Ohio childhood that I'd get to see castles one day, see fortresses. I got to go on a mission trip when I was 19 to Haiti. And above Cap Haitian, Haiti, there's this structure called the Citadel. And it's, it was constructed between 1806 and 1820 during the reign of Henry Christoph, who was a leader of the successful rebellion of the enslaved people against France and was built in case Napoleon came back. And walking around the walls of that citadel, it wasn't the castle of my imagination. It was a thousand times more. It was hugely defensible. It was, you'd walk over to the edge and there wasn't the crenulated wall. I mean, you're at the edge looking 130 feet down on top of a 3,000-foot mountain, cannonballs um, stacked up. It was just the little boy in me nearly went crazy. I've got to walk through Crusader-era castles 
in Israel, but the most amazing fortress I've experienced is a fortress called Masada um, in the desert of the Judean desert. And it's thought that in 1 Samuel 22, this is mentioned as David's stronghold, where he would retreat um, when he was on the run from Saul. From Saul. And it's, it was a fortress built on top of a mountain mesa. Uh, it was improved about a thousand years after David by King Herod, you know, the, the king that uh, in the story of Jesus' birth uh, was after Jesus. And wedged in these ruins, amongst storehouses and walls and palaces, on top of a mountain mesa out in the dry desert, today in the ancient synagogue, in a little glassed-in air-conditioned room, there's now a rabbi that works there copying Torah scrolls. In the midst of the image of God's protection that David probably drew on, there's still, 3,000 years later, someone writing the words of the Lord, the, uh, the first five books of the Bible. And it draws me to think of how God is such a sure foundation for us, sure stronghold for us. What's strange as the psalm goes on is that it speaks to a number of different audiences. It moves from David saying, this is kind of the testimony of who God is, to, to almost a lament uh, that he addresses his attackers uh, in verses 3 and 4. And um, says, how long are you going to be attacking others? Um, that the only desire of this people is to bring others down low. They, they bless with their mouths, but inside it's cursing. It's a, a talking about why this hunting, this pursuing, this people-seeking ruin in life goes on. And David takes a moment away to speak to that. But then again, he changes his audience. And it, it seems like the same words that we had in the very beginning of the psalm, but then he speaks to my soul. David, David speaks to himself. It's like a note to self. It's like a reminder. He takes the attack and slander in the symphony of, of style, and he plants it right in the middle of two statements of trust, kind of a declaration of trust, and then I've got to tell myself about this trust. I've got to remind myself about this trust. Oh, I must find rest in God only because my hope comes from him. Have you ever been caught talking to yourself? Uh, you turn the corner and someone's there when you've been uh, saying things. I have a friend that uh, when she was singing in the car and she'd be at a stoplight and somebody would catch her singing, she would turn to the seat next to her and act like she was giving instructions to a child. But a 2012 study showed that when searching for something, it, it's helpful, your brain is stimulated 
you create a more concrete visual concept by repeating what you're searching for. It led to increased efficiency in searching. And maybe that's why I used to walk around the grocery store I, I worked at, and after I would receive a question, I'd walk through the aisles, a can of tomatoes, a can of tomatoes, a can of tomatoes. That's why we, like David, we need to tell ourselves these truths. If we know what we know in the first verses, here we follow what we know about God, and we remind ourselves to rest in him because God is our source of hope. So maybe it's the case that sometimes you have to encourage yourself to trust when you consider all the things that come against you. He reminds himself, only God is my rock and my salvation. I will not be shaken. It moves from I won't be shaken anymore to I will not be shaken. We can try and set up the most impregnable strongholds and fortresses, but they always have the potential of being undermined. And the repetition of God is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold, it's like the attacks and words and schemes of the assailants. They have a bulwark set around them. They, they're, they're, they're stopped by the rock, solid rock wall of the care and protection of God. So it might be easy to say, yeah, this is just for David back then. But when we notice the heart of this psalm, it's got an outward-facing focus. Because, again, there's another audience. David says, all you people, trust him at all times. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. There's a vulnerability, a transparency in pouring out your heart before God. When you pour something out of a vessel, pour it out. You're upending it. You're holding nothing back. And here we're called to pour out our hearts. You know, the, the Old Testament concept of heart, it's, it's the hopes, it's taking the hopes and desires, the fears, the feelings, loves, hates, hurts of our heart, and pouring them out to the Lord, trusting him in all things. And we can because God is our refuge. Remember how Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Where does your security lie? When life throws trouble or hardship at you, what do you trust in? What do you trust to deliver you? What do you trust to rescue you? What assets do you draw on? Is it having enough money, power, or people to influence friends or family? We tend to put hope in rallying as many allies as we can. We put together our dream team of advocates and defenders. But David also reminds us the people can be like a breath, that you put them on the scales 
and you put the, the weight to measure how heavy, and the scale just flies up. But we have to remind ourselves that human solutions are fleeting. And if I, wa- I wonder if that's why the psalm closes with God's word back to David when he's poured out his heart before God. God has spoken one thing, make it two things, that I myself have heard, that strength belongs to God, and faithful love comes from you, my Lord, and that you'll repay everyone according to their deeds. Now, I puzzled over this. That's three things to me. Um, but God's, God's bigger. Um, I, don't, I don't have a country road I could walk down. But I'm just going to have to trust in that. That God is saying you could boil things down to two things. Much like Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And your neighbor is yourself. David gives this boiling things down. That God is strong. And God has loving, kindness, faithful love for us. God is strong and capable and ultimately loving those two things. That love, it's, a, it's expression in a word that's used 255 times in the Old Testament. The kind of faithful love, a self-giving love, that when the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing gives me everything. God's true to these promises, for in his faithful love, he's faithful to his promises, and he'll repay everyone according to their deeds, it says, because those deeds express their trust in him. They won't have anything to fear, for they'll surely know him as their stronghold. So whether it's the noise of the things pursuing us, the thunder or circumstances or curses, We can rely on God's power, steadfast love, and justice. As I was looking at this psalm, I looked at a meditation that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian from um, the mid-20th century, wrote. And he was reflecting on this psalm, and I want to close with his, uh, his thoughts on it. As the infant comes, becomes still upon its mother's breast, as the youth is silent when he looks up to his heroes, as the crying child longs for the mother's hand to be laid upon its brow, to banish all its cares, as the husband finds his anxiety stilled in the glance of his beloved wife, as true friends become silent when looking into each other's, pres- when looking into each other's eyes, As a sick person is set at ease by the doctor's presence, as older people become still in the face of death, so our souls are to be stilled from their unrest, agitation, and hurriedness before the eyes of God. Our thirst is to be quenched, our desires become true happiness, as we find our rest from the heat of day in the shadow of God's hand. Our souls are cast off, are to cast off care and burdens and find freedom in the glance of God. They are to be silent in reverence and adoration. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. 
all you people. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts before the Lord. God is our refuge. Amen.